Hello to everybody who's just waiting for their billionaire. It's Beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one, I think it'll be more fun, and I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me. Hi everybody, Chris Gethard here, welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous, closing out the year strong. I'm telling you man, we have been on a hot streak with calls this year, and it continues. Simple as that. This one is is a very fascinating call that I've been thinking about since we recorded it. I want to let you know that there's always shows coming up, but who cares, right? I don't have anything till January. I'll be in Georgia, a couple cities in Georgia, Athens and Atlanta. You can go to chrisgeth.com, but I'm not going to sit here and talk about that the whole time for now. Everybody just chill out. Everybody chill out. We're going to do the thing. This week's call is really just a fascinating look at a, a life. I, I keep thinking about this caller because she just walks in between worlds. It comes up in so many ways. I think you'll see how it applies. She is someone who was raised by diplomats. It's just a look at a person who's figuring it out, as we all are, but in the process of figuring it out, is living a life that is undeniably fascinating. And also, if we want to just go ahead and say some things that might get the algorithm, also just like running into Kim and Kanye, because that happens in this caller's life too. It's a really interesting caller with an interesting life tale. Enjoy the call. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hello? Hi. Is this Chris? Yeah, yeah. How are you? Hi. I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. Yeah, that's the answer. Pretty good. How are you? Um, I'm good. I am a little bit tired because I am very, very jet lagged right now. Um, I'm calling you from France, so I'm pretty tired, but otherwise I'm good. I'm here visiting my family, so I can't complain about that. Okay. I'm going to say a couple things. First off, I like your vibe just out of the gate. I'm getting a good a good sense of the vibe in general. Second of all, is your family in France for the holiday or are you is your background French? Neither. Um I my family is well mostly well American and Canadian and they live in Switzerland and um I'm visiting I guess for the holidays, even though it wasn't really for that. Um, and my parents just bought their retirement home in France. So I'm here visiting for the first time. Wow. Good for them. So, yeah. Um, so they're kind of living their best lives right now. Um, but yeah, so I'm here visiting and then we'll head back to the States where I actually live in about a week or two. Yeah. When you Whenever say, I feel like it. <laughs> when you say we'll head back to the States, who's we? Oh, I will head back to the States. You will. Got it. Got Just it. Me. I'm so well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sorry so. you're tired, but it's pretty cool you're in France. 
It's great. I can't complain. I've uh, I've also done this trip many, many times before, so I'm pretty used to it. Um, but yeah, uh, we're rocking it. We just got home and it's like this amazing village that they live in where it's this castle from the 10th century. And anyway, it's, it's cool stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm just kind of enjoying being in a place that has like a little bit more history than the U S sometimes. <laughs> that's, that's all right. Yeah. I like, it is, it is amazing as an American. I just have to encourage, um, any of my fellow Americans who haven't traveled to places older than America, you got to do it. And I've said on the show before, Yeah, I used to be scared of international travel. It used to make me so nervous. Then, then half out of career necessity, half because my wife loves traveling, started doing it more. And you realize, oh, America's like five minutes old by world standards. <laughs> it's like five <laughs> minutes old. Yeah. You're no, talking about it's stuff so from the true. 10th century, and we have like mini malls with Panera breads. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I, yeah. I feel like um, I've heard you talk about your experiences being in Edinburgh and being at like gyms and ancient buildings and stuff. And that's just like rings so true. It's like everything is like the newest stuff over here is as old as the US is. So, yeah, it's pretty epic to be able to sort of take a trip through time a little bit indeed and i just want to yeah. say this we're five minutes in i'm happy to chit chat about france and international travel if that's what you'd like this to be so i'm not sure if there's something you want to talk about or if you want to just talk more about france <laughs> um well we can do either but yeah i grew up in in switzerland um in like a diplomatic family and pretty, you know, international and bougie. And now I live up in the mountains in Colorado out West and I ski for a living and mountain guide and bike all day and have a ton of fun. And I live, I won't say where I live because it's really tiny, but I live in one of these um, pretty swanky resorts and have all these crazy clients who come visit. And so I think I mentioned in the voicemail, I spent a weekend hanging out with Kim Kardashian and Kanye West and their families, which was super weird. Um, so yeah, I've kind of had this like total 180 from my, from my origins a little bit, which is another, which is a silly story in and of itself. Well, that's fascinating to me because I have, I'll say on my end, to hear that you grew up in Switzerland and now you live in a ski resort, that actually doesn't sound like a 180. It sounds like it, <laughs> it, sounds like it tracks. Fair enough. I guess I keep gravitating to altitude generally. <laughs> it seems like yeah. snow and altitude is kind of your jam. It, I guess it is, honestly, which is like funny because when I was a kid, I was the antithesis of all of that though. Like I was the kid who like didn't want to go outside and didn't want to sweat or get dirty or touch bugs. And now I say I spend at least half the year sleeping on a sleeping bag outside in the woods. Um, and I'm a little bit of a dirt bag. So <laughs> that part, I guess is a bit of a 180. Oh, I got to ask when you but, say you ski professionally, 
How's that? How do you mean? Because I don't get the sense there's too many professional skier jobs. No, there aren't. I, well, I, I'm not like a, I'm, I'm like a low level, low level in that world. And I like teach and guide skiing. So I basically just get paid all day to ski with really cool clients and explore the mountains. Um, yeah. So I like started off by just like ski instructing at a resort, um, and kind of went from there, but I, yeah, I teach all kinds of people how to ski and I guide and do some stuff in the resort and backcountry skiing. So I just spend a lot of time in the mountains really. Next question. Okay. Is Kim Kardashian nice? <laughs> um, she's fine. That's what I would say. <laughs> she's I love not nice, but she's also not mean. She was exactly like everything that you see on TV is exactly how they are in real life. It was actually hilarious to witness, but, um, oh, wow. Mostly notable was just that they have like the attention spans of goldfish. All the the social media um, and whatnot. I guess so. I don't know. They were like fine, but they weren't anything special. Um, Now when when their kids take off down the mountain, maybe you haven't given them the thumbs up to take off yet and you realize they've taken off and you've got to chase them down the mountain you find yourself in a situation where you are quite literally keeping up with the Kardashians. <laughs> I've never thought about that before. You can use that. That's hilarious. You can use that. Feel I'm, free. I'm going to use it. Maybe I'll put that on my business card next year. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Boom. That's why people call the show. They don't want to air out their stories. They just want buzzwords and catchphrases from me for a potential business card usage because you know there's a lot of businesses out there in the world speaking of which many of those businesses advertise on our show check out these ads and we'll be right back thanks again to our advertisers who helped bring the show to the world now let's get back to the phone call you can use that feel I'm, free i'm gonna use it maybe i'll put that on my business card next year yes um yeah that's actually hilarious um yeah honestly not that hard to keep up with because they just sort of stand still and talk to each other a lot so Mm -hmm. it was more trying to get them to move a little bit but i was quite literally keeping up with the kardashians (laughs) i'll say i uh I was quite struck. She did an episode of that. Sh- David Letterman has a show on Netflix where he interviews people and he interviewed her and she spoke so eloquently about um, wanting to free prisoners who were unjustly imprisoned. She talked about like their family's legacy in the law and how she was trying to pursue it. And I was like, I gotta say for someone who's known largely through a, reality show and someone who partially came into prominence due to a a leaked sex tape, which I think was very, I think that's brutal whenever that happens. And, and then the slut shaming that surrounds it is awful. I go, I did not anticipate to be sitting here someday and going, wow, Kim Kardashian 
is impressing me and has some things to say that are really making me think. And kudos to her, because you can tell her that at the very least, despite any faults and of her background, she's trying to be a good person, it seems. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I agree. I think that she, it seems like she's trying to do some good stuff. And to be honest, I don't keep up with that part of the world very much and pay much attention to it. It carries tons of interest for me, like, you know, big time celebrities and stuff. Well, have you heard about, general, but have you not, have, have you heard about Kanye? You say you don't keep up with any of this. Imagine if I was like, oh, wait, oh, wait, are you, how off the grid are you? Because I got something to tell you about a guy you used to hang out on the mountain with. That's that's gotta be weird. It has to be weird to see. And look, we're laughing about it. There's some nervous laughing there. Also want to say as someone who has, you know, dedicated a decent amount of energy in my life towards destigmatizing mental health issues. You know, I'm far from the person. I'm far from the first person here to go. It seems like this person's having uh, some some issues in that realm, and I'm not trying to laugh at that. But it must be weird for you to hang out with someone for a chunk of time, and then see them, you know, precipitate a career downfall with bizarre rants about the Jewish people. Yeah, no, it's definitely weird, and um, I mean, I totally feel for like understand and recognize that like there must be some real shit going on there. Um, that, you know, I, I'm sure that most of us don't even know the beginning of, um, and is never can't, I don't know, just can't be a justification for saying, you know, perpetuating hateful speech, but um, is like weird to know that we spent a couple days together shooting the shit in the mountains. So, <laughs> yeah, but I, as with most people, I just like hope that he is able to get the support and help that he needs and hopefully not do that on a super public stage where people are, you know, holding him up on some kind of pedestal. I really hate on. it. I really hate it. I love how you just phrased that. These things don't need to happen on a public stage. They do yeah. too often. There's so many things, and I guess it's been going on my whole life, but it feels so much more pronounced now. There's so many things that we treat as entertainment these days that I don't think are very entertaining. Like people having mental breakdowns, yeah. people's mm-hmm. lives and careers being ruined. I also will say, you know, it's huge in the podcasting world. And I, I, I mean, I've, I've gone on record many times and said my favorite podcast is criminal. I think that's a very smart and well put together show, but you, you think it like even the past five years, like the amount that true crime has become entertainment, but so much of it is just, Hey, here's, you want to hear a story about someone who got their head chopped off and thrown in a river? Here it is. I'll read the Wikipedia entry on that. No actual like nuance or, Subtlety, just here's the most shocking, messed up things that we can treat as entertainment. Here it is, everybody. Here's a reality show where people never see each other and then they get married so you can watch the train wreck. Here's a Tiger King. What else can we just throw at you? What else can we just throw in your face? 
Just what other sensory yeah. overload can we have that is humanity not at its best that we treat as entertainment? I find it very icky. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's like so easy to hide behind a screen and just like forget the humanity in all these situations and the nuance and the complexity and to sensationalize. Um, and I wish that we, sometimes I wish that we could just go back to reading really fascinating novels <laughs> and books and all of that because yeah, it just goes overboard, but I don't know. I used to be, I used to get all hung up on stuff like that and, you know, you find yourself like nose in the screen. And I think in the last couple of years, I've just, I don't know, it's so much more worth one's time to con actually connect with those around you and connect with nature and connect with the world, like the real world, as opposed to sort of this fleeting entertainment of stories that you don't even know the full truth of. Yeah. Yeah. To get some sense of validation or some sort of dopamine rush. Exactly. For those things. And then realize, oh, well, I haven't, yeah. I haven't talked to any of my neighbors in four days. I haven't, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't been outside during daylight hours in a week. You know, these are real things that yeah. we put ourselves through. Now, did you? Yeah, that's did, like terrifying. Did you say your parents were diplomats? Did I catch that? Yeah. So yeah, they have been. At times, <laughs> and you you mentioned yeah. that at the very at this lifestyle was part of why you grew up in Switzerland. Yeah, um, yeah. My parents are well; they're they're doctors, um, like originally professionally, and have sort of uh, migrated into the public health sphere. Um, and one of my parents like we're here for their job um, in, or they're here, I guess, for their job in Switzerland doing um, public health, global health work. So yeah, that's kind of the world I grew up in. Wow, it's intense stuff. It is, especially since COVID. And very intense. I've always so, wondered. Yeah. You hear about people who grew up and you know your you, your parents work as doctors and in the global health sphere. It you've said it they have worked in the diplomatic sphere. Either way, they are they are world travelers who, on some level, are representing America. I've I've always wondered about growing up this way because someone who's a diplomat is working as a representative of America. And they believe it. Mm -hmm. And they, I, I, would, I mean, you can't paint everybody with the same brush, but I have to imagine nobody's going to uproot their life and live in a foreign country working on behalf of government and not on some level believe in the concept of America. And then you as their children or their child are raised in a different culture, in foreign soil, very disconnected from America, but inherently American because your parents are representing the country. That's always seemed fascinating to me. And I don't think I've ever talked to anybody who grew up with that set of circumstances. You know, it's like such an interesting question and I've honestly never heard anyone frame it that way. So I so appreciate that. And, um, look, I've been doing this yeah, job a long time. 
yeah, I, it is so interesting because I don't know that I've ever heard um, my parents frame it that way or talk about it. And to be totally honest, I think that some of their career choices were, this is going to sound cynical, but like some of their career choices were to create opportunities for them to move their family outside of the U.S. Um, Mm. And a lot of these moves were not necessarily for the job itself, but for like as a means to the end of getting their kids outside of the U.S. Um, Mm. And at this point, like I am, so I have a, I have a brother also, and I'm the only one of our family of four who lives in the U S and I'm probably like the rest of the three of them probably will never live in the U S again. Um, my brother lives in the UK and obviously my parents in Switzerland. So, um, yeah, I think they had, well, one of my parents is Canadian too. So we're kind of half and half and they met when they were living in the Caribbean. And so they've like traveled and lived in a whole bunch of different places. And um, I think it's been this, like, especially on my dad's side, who's the American side, like um, several generations actually of trying to leave the U S unsuccessfully until now, I guess. Um, And it has been like such a weird transition also being the only one in my family who lives in the U.S. still and has that connection and I have so many (laughs) so many thoughts and uncertainties about how long that's going to last for me and and why I'm still there um, beyond just like being far away from my family and yeah I think in some ways it's been this um, like very long process of trying to get out of the states um, especially because on my dad's like my dad is African-American and um, I think there's, you know, given just like the generational trauma of black people in the U S I think has been um, sort of this like existential desire to leave that country, but also an inability to do so. So um, yeah, it's been kind of this like crazy yeah, like very existential and emotional process. And my parents were very, very intentional that they didn't want me and my brother growing up in the States. Um, So in some ways, like the biggest thing right now is that I went back to the U.S. um, and have made a little life there for myself, at least as of now. I'm still pretty young, so who knows how long that'll last. But yeah. That's one of the more layered and interesting answers to a question I've ever received on this show. Thank you for it. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. <laughs> sorry, I sorry I didn't have a more straightforward straightforward answer. <laughs> no, I who wants a straightforward answer? Are you kidding me? You think I want a, <laughs> a straightforward answer? No, we I like the layers no around way. here. I like the layers around here. <laughs> there's layers to this stuff. Well, there's a lot of them. So, yeah. Wow. But, yeah, I guess it's a good point that I've never thought about in terms of, like, that on some level, 
going into that line of work, there was some belief on their part in the U.S. in the context of global health and and also just using it as a vehicle to <laughs> get school paid for and, you know, get us out. Wow. So was it, uh, so when you went back, were your parents like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And what year did you move back to the States? I moved back to the States in 2016. Um, you moved back to the States in 2016 when your parents were wary of America and its politics? And you yep. said, you said 2016, <laughs> this seems, everybody chill. It seems like now's the time to head back. To, if you're worried about American politics, don't worry, everybody. I got a great feeling about 2016. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, not an ideal time to go back. That's for sure. That was kooky. And I was in college, so I was just, I was like so confused about everything that was happening and like just starting to figure out my adult life and my adult mind and, you know, how the world works when you're no longer a child too. So that was crazy. But I think like, given that I'm the older of the two siblings, it was always just, I don't know, we didn't even like think... It just sort of like made sense to go back to the U.S. for college. I didn't really know what else to do. Um, I guess kind of just got stuck. I shouldn't say stuck there. I've made choices to be in the U.S. also since then, but kind of also just kind of got stuck there. This is a fascinating. How stuck? Stuck there? How? Not stuck. Like, uh, I, like, uh, not literally stuck like existentially stuck, <laughs> you know, like you start creating a life and building community and having stuff. And I don't have a visa or a passport to live back here. And then during COVID, I was like literally stuck there because I wasn't allowed to come home for, you know, Wait, all now, of COVID pretty when much. When you say here, because you are currently in France, do you mean here being Europe? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Walk here me through being this. Europe, it's all so close. Like the distances to drive here are between countries are shorter than within the state I live in. So, yeah. So, so you were saying you didn't have a visa to work in Europe. So you're not a European citizen. Yeah, I don't. I'm not. No, I've always been here on um, like children of diplomat well, visas. So. Now I'm just a regular old tourist, um, so I don't have the right to work here. I wasn't allowed to come during COVID. My mom put in some like special application. She was like, "I need." It was like a, "I need to see my baby visa." Um, so yeah, but it's been sort of this like weird long process, and now all of a sudden I'm uh, like seven years in to living in the U.S. again, and hard to leave it's like hard to pull oneself away from community and a, like a little life that i've started building which is just very far away from home at this point but also a new home so so many existential crises and i'm in my i'm 25 and i feel like that just feels like prime time for all the existential crises so <laughs> wait you're you're how old i'm 25 25. So you moved back when you were yeah. 
18. 18? Wow. Mm-hmm. And 25 is a prime time for existential crises, but you'll have more when you're 32. And from what I can tell, all of your 40s. <laughs> well, shit. Yeah. I just hope this is going to be the worst of it. It's some of the roughest. They all take on different forms. Um, but yeah, 32, shit's going to hit the fan again. Then you're going to have a lot yeah. of fun in your late 30s. And then your whole 40s, you just sit here and go, why did I make every choice I ever made? That's my, <laughs> that my the terrifying. sense I get. That's the sense I get. Okay. Well, maybe maybe it's about like your 50s and 60s, you know? Maybe that's when, when you look back and say those are my best years. Maybe that's when things just really chill out. Who knows? Who knows? Well, yeah, I don't. Seems like everyone's in the middle of an existential crisis, but I guess I see in the world. So <laughs> always, you've Everyone's got something. You've, uh, I gotta say, you've been a lot of places and seen a lot of things for somebody who's twenty-five. I have. I feel very, very lucky that I have had those opportunities and had the chances to live in a bunch of places and travel to a whole lot more and meet tons of different kinds of people. So I feel super, super lucky about that. I, yeah. Okay. I think, I don't know if you're so critical to like be able to know that there's a whole world out there, not just one's own little, my own little bubble and circle, but it's easy to get wrapped up in that, I guess. Can I ask a, I'm going to ask a tough question and a sensitive question, but okay. one I'm sure you've had to think okay. about a lot. So, Hit me. grew up overseas, talked about how your parents like to travel, Caribbean, France, Switzerland, all these places, they've, they've used their careers specifically as a way to remove themselves from some of the aspects of American politics, especially, I, I believe you said your dad as an African-American. I, I have all those details, right? Mm-hmm. You moved back in 2016, and I was joking about it, you know, mostly because, you know, the big headline there is Trump, but not just Trump. There's also been so many things that have happened since you yeah. moved back to the States that specifically must be things that your father turns around and goes, that is why I left. I mean, George Floyd, the most notable example, but sadly yeah. far from the only one. And I believe um, was was Elijah McLean in Colorado. Am I remembering that right? It's sad that there's so many that I that you can't recall all the details right away. But uh, I mean, it, it is is there a part of you? Does your dad call you up when when these things happen? Is your dad going? Why are you teaching people to ski in Colorado? We we got out of there get out of there. That's why I want it out of there. Gotta say, out of all of the cases that have led to so much rage, that if you're not familiar with the story of Elijah McClain, I'll just say Google it. I, it was one of the ones that was most heartbreaking and freeing to me. Not that it's a contest. There, There's so many. It's, it's so sad, but man, did that one get me. Anyway, uh, we're, it's getting sad. I'm getting sidetracked. We have ads. Let's go ahead. We'll take a breath. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. 
Thanks to all the advertisers who help us make this show happen. We're very lucky to have you. And now we're very lucky to finish off this phone call. Why are you teaching people to ski in Colorado? We, we got out of there. Get out of there. That's why I wanted out of there. Yeah. Um, on it, like, we have never had that conversation, um, like, super directly. Um, and I think that's mostly just part of his both life and parenting philosophy that they'd, like, you know, he, you know, is committed to supporting me in whatever you know, wherever I want to be and whatever I want to do, which again, I feel so lucky about, but yeah, I think that is something that we have definitely talked about in um, less overt or direct ways, um, but it was like super real. And it was like, honestly, like last year, for example, we, um, he flew, I, I had a long drive to do up to Northern Wyoming and um, he flew over and hung out with me for a little while in Colorado and then did help, you know, made the drive with me. And, um, he was like freak. We drove through this part of Wyoming that I've heard is like the least densely populated area of the lower 48, like, you know, absolute middle of nowhere, nothing around except for just like ranches and that's about it. And he was like freaked out. Um, at the idea of, you know, anything like the car breaking down or anything, he's like, I'm going to get shot, (laughs) which was terrifying. Um, and yeah, that was, that was like a super, I don't know. It was just like a freaky moment and something we hadn't really talked a lot about before. Um, but also I think, and I like can't speak for him obviously, but is, another like complex part of his identity because he's um like he's mixed and I think has always had this um internal mostly internal battle about whether he fits in with the black community or whether he you know he grew up in a very white area with a white mom and so whether he is more white and um, also just lives in like these very, like just circulates in really white groups and worlds. Um, and I think, but yeah, he's definitely expressed to me his distaste for being in the U S and his feeling of just being really unsafe um, in ways that he doesn't feel unsafe in Europe. So um yeah, it's definitely at least like a choice that he has made for himself um, to be in the U.S. anymore because it's dangerous for him, um, you know, both on an everyday level and just, you know, to like conduct one's full life in the U.S. It was really dangerous at this point, so. Layers. Every answer you give. Your answer, I mean, you. every answer you give layers <laughs> a hell of a lot of them yeah <laughs> I love a lot it. of complexity in my family background for sure so I'm gonna peel it all peel it all out and figure it out 
I bet growing up the way you did means that you know how to roll with a punch. And I bet you you must know how to talk to people in a way that I'm pretty envious of. <laughs> I guess I guess in some ways, yeah. Um I I definitely love connecting with people who are you know, just come from all over the place and have all these different experiences. And I wish I was better at it because I am pretty shy and you know, sort of, I don't know. I wish I was better at asking people questions and and unpacking stuff. All right. And, uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> all right. But it is a cool way to connect with people in terms of all these different lived experiences people have. And I have to imagine. Uh, okay, let's let's go back to this. You mentioned you mentioned Kim and Kanye swing by <laughs> the resort you work out of. Yeah. Now those are flashy names to drop. They certainly grab one's attention. It also speaks to the overall culture uh, of where you're finding yourself these days. Like there are probably people who are not household names who have even more money than Kim and Kanye that are coming through wherever you're working because Kim and Kanye don't just drop by a place where people like me are slumming it. So <laughs> are you around uber wealthy people all the time in Colorado now? All the time. Yeah. Um, and most of the time I probably don't even know it to be totally honest, but yeah, they're not, I mean, we have a ton of celebrities who have like, you know, celebrities like that who have homes there, but also these like, ultra wealthy people um who in my opinion have a lot more money than brains um and just do really absurd absurd things with their time and money and it's hard to even understand um you know people who get helicoptered in from five-star resorts in the middle of nowhere to the resort and um uber uber wealthy homes an incredibly high cost of living and that's like another factor where i live just because um it's so saturated with the ultra wealthy that people like me who aren't the ultra wealthy have a very hard time um like figuring it out and finding places to live and having a life that is sustainable in any way at all i just someone just texted me um that currently where i live ahead of lettuce costs $13 and that's sort of where things are at right now. So. <laughs> $13 for lettuce? Yep. Wow. Yeah. So there's like this super cool community of like awesome rad dirtbag young people and we, you know, do all kinds of outdoorsy stuff and hang out in the mountains and go see weird hippies at weird music festivals um, but it's also like not an easy place to have a normal life um, as someone who's not a multimillionaire. Those legalized edibles, those legalized edibles. Sometimes that's all that can get you through these days. I bet. <laughs> uh, yeah, that too. Yeah. It that's helps when it. you're dealing with some rich dickhead in a helicopter. I'm sure it helps. <laughs> 
definitely does. <laughs> the employee housing is right at the base of the mountain, so most people head home for a quick bong rip before their afternoon of work. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah, and that's not even really a thing. That's not even really a thing anymore. How silly is it that that's still in some places? Love the vibe. I said it in the beginning, and I still do. Love the vibe. Now, you've referred to yourself as a dirtbag twice, and your friends as dirtbags. And I'm wondering exactly <laughs> what that entails. I, I say so very affectionately. Um, I just mean that, well, I don't know. I guess, uh, I guess it just entails, like, going to the desert and camping and, um, you know, not, not caring what we look like and... I definitely am on the, I'm, I'm one of the lesser dirt bags of the bunch, but, um, just a bunch of like silly shenanigans and long hippie hair and people who live out of their cars and vans and travel around and do seasonal work and pretty much just like chase whitewater and snow and mountains. I don't know if you've ever heard of that podcast, The Dirtbag Diaries, but those are the kinds of people I hang out with a lot. So, okay. But I don't know. I'm like that type, but then I'm also um, like, I love, I'm, I'm one of the bougier dirtbags. I love fashion and shoes and nice clothes and nice restaurants. <laughs> so, I guess the Swiss in me is still present. You walk between worlds. I do. I do. <laughs> In so many ways. It sounds like a, that another yeah. skill that one develops being being a child of expats. I bet I bet that idea of walking between worlds is a skill you develop and a necessity to a degree. Yeah, it totally is. It really, really is. And I think that's why so many kids who or like the ch the children of expats called the, call themselves third culture kids. Um, third culture kids. They have this third. Yeah. Oh, that's a sick name for a band right there. The third culture kids. <laughs> that would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, I can hear it. I yeah. If someone hasn't gone to that, we got to start a band called the third culture kids, please. It's a great name. <laughs> Putting it out there to the universe for someone to start making super eclectic mix of genres type music. There's a whole Wikipedia entry on the idea of a third culture kid. You're a third culture kid. Someone who is raised in a culture other than their parents or the culture of the country of nationality and also live in a different environment during a significant part of their child development years. Yep. That sums it up. You're a TCK. PCKs, yeah, and they gravitate towards each other. There are communities, like, almost in every big city, I bet you find just this group of kids who all went to international schools, each hold about three to four passports, speak upwards of four or five languages, um, have a super um, obscure accent that you, can pin you can't pinpoint to any exact place. And they all gravitate towards each other and they all already know each other. It's like a whole, it's a whole community. It's a whole thing. 
Wow. Like among those kinds of people, I'm one of the most boring by far. You're not very boring at all. So this must be an exciting group of people. <laughs> it's a cool group of people. When I walked into my first day of school at the international school I went to and um, for high school, I like people are asked to go around and introduce themselves. And it's totally typical. Like one kid will introduce himself and be like, Hey, I'm Johnny. And I'm, I don't know, I'm from Argentina. And then the kid next to him goes, no, you're not. Your mom is Irish and your dad's from Ghana. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's so typical. Now you like being a dirt bag, rolling with the dirt bags, people living out of vans. You also like shoes yeah. and fashion and, and a good fancy meal. Yeah. I feel like you've yeah. laid, you've laid out. I, I'm going to ask, and, and I'm not suggesting anything untoward happens here, but you've laid out that like, you'll throw down, get in the van, go exploring, do the outdoor stuff with the dirt bags. You made that clear. I have to wonder, does being around these absurdly wealthy people ever afford you access to that other side of your interests? Like, are you rolling with the dirt bags during the day and then like going out to a restaurant with some billionaire at night? Have you ever had a night like that? Out there? <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 It's epic. Um, yeah. People invite you out to dinner all the time. They think you're fun and young and cool, which is somewhat true, but also, you know, everyone can be. And people invite you out to dinner, invite you to go hella skiing. Um, I've had clients invite me. Hella skiing? Yeah, I've had clients invite me to, like, travel with them to other countries to go skiing. So um, it's pretty awesome, actually. Like, you just get treated to all this cool stuff and especially since you like know the area is hella skiing like you is hella skiing like you jump out of a helicopter and uh, you're on skis? I wish. um well yes but you don't jump the helicopter takes you up to um like more remote areas than you could get to on a chairlifter by foot and then it drops you off and you just ski and you just go it's amazing and I have to ask more. I was going to get to the nitty gritty. When this shit starts happening, there's two schools of thought I have. One is like there's some rich family that goes, oh, you're a great instructor. Can we contract you to just stick with us for the next two weeks and you come with us wherever we go and then blah, blah, blah. And then there's also, I would imagine, are there like rich dudes that are like, you're 25 and you seem cool. Can I take you out to the best <laughs> meal of your life? Oh my God, Chris, I wish. Um, you know, you wish the billionaire men were trying um, to, trying I mean, to I wouldn't be upset. Sounds <laughs> 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 pretty great. I've never had that happen. I mostly teach kids or like teenagers. So I usually, it's more usually like the family route for me. Um, but Hey, like if any Bummer. billionaire dudes want to take me out to fancy meals and treat me, I mean, I wouldn't say no. <laughs> so you'll be teaching a family's child yeah. or yeah. children. And then the father or mother might casually turn around and go, well, you know, we're actually going hella skiing tomorrow. Maybe you could join us for the hella skiing, which I have to imagine to basically be able to rent a helicopter to take you skiing in a place where ski lifts don't access. This is not a cheap or easy thing to attain. Yeah, so it's more stuff exactly, like that. Pretty much exactly. 
say it usually goes like you do a good job teaching their kids. They think you're cool. They take you out for drinks that night. And then they're like, hey, by the way, we have an extra spot for tomorrow. You want to come heliskiing? And you're like, yeah, I do. <laughs> and next thing you know, you're in a helicopter going to some cliff face that's inaccessible to, to poor mm-hmm. people. Ski, skiing on this virgin snow? Yeah. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's awesome. It's pretty sweet. Um, that's the part that's the part of life where everyone in town who actually lives there, like, you know, young people like me, we say my life is better than your vacation because that's what it's about. But then, you know, the season ends and you realize you're all of a sudden out of work and have no money left. So there's that part too. Now can I tell you something about me? Yes, please. Never been skiing once really? in my life. Zero interest. Yeah. I don't think I'm gonna say something that might be the type of thing that people are like, you're an idiot. My impression growing up, Irish Catholics don't ski. We got enough we we constantly think the world is falling apart. I'm not putting myself in an avalanche <laughs> situation. I don't need to be driving around with one of these backpacks that inflates when the avalanche yeah. comes. You know those things? I, yeah, I do. Luckily, I've never had to use one. Okay, so what What can I do to convince you to try skiing? I'm a 42-year-old man with terrible knees <laughs> and a general feeling that a rock is going to fall on my head at any given moment. Explain to me. Explain to me. Give me the elevator pitch on why a guy in my of my ilk and worldview should in his 40s get into skiing. Also, is it bad on the knees? Because I got bad knees. Yeah, I can't help you on the knees front. If it makes you feel any better, I have bad knees too. Um, well, I guess it's from okay. skiing. That's okay. not a very good pitch, is it? Um, <laughs> I... Okay. okay, picture this. You go on vacation with your family... You pack up all your warmest winter gear. You go to a beautiful resort somewhere out west in the Rockies. Um, uh-huh. It's a winter wonderland. It's sunny. The trees are covered in snow. Everything's glittering. And like there are Christmas lights up everywhere, even in February. And um, you hire a really patient, really lovely instructor. And you put on your skis and you learn on the bunny slope and there's nothing that dangerous about it. Your knees are crushing it. They've never felt better. That's not really true, but, um, yeah, this, that's yeah. bullshit. Now I know you're just, no, no, no. <laughs> the rest of it is true. I promise. <sighs> and then you go in for a nice uh-huh. lunch at the chalet and you eat like a chalet. If I ever stepped foot in a chalet, I'd start like cleaning dishes. <laughs> I feel like I'd I'd be like, how can I, how can I help? I'm not a chalet person. Okay. Can you imagine? Honestly, I, I, you've listened to the show at least a couple times. If you left a voicemail, can you imagine me in a chalet? Honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ever listen? Oh, you gotta try every, You gotta try everything once, right? That's my philosophy. You try everything once, and then you can decide. Sounds cold and expensive skiing. Yeah. It's expensive. Yeah, there's no way around that. (laughs) But it's worth it. 
like there's a there's just like a beauty of gravity sports where you just let gravity do it all for you. Let me ask you That's this. That's the fun part for me. Companion question. And I can't believe I'm finally going to ask someone in my life. How does someone get into the sport of ski jump? Because the first time you try that, it must be the most insane choice you've ever made. Every time yeah. there's a Winter Olympics, I, I think about this. Do you know ski jumpers? I actually don't know any ski jumpers. But <sighs> it, Who honestly, are these people? Like, if you don't know them, where are they? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. They're off in the middle of nowhere hauling themselves off of 20-foot propeller jumps. I have no idea. How the hell know does the someone get are. into ski jumping? I'm just going to launch myself into the sky down the side of a mountain. How do you do that the first time? I don't understand who these people are or where they come from. I don't either. That's, I feel like they're just like a whole nother breed. I don't understand that at all. Yeah. You must, um, you get, you must get the crazy snowboarders though. Yeah. No, we do have some, we do have some awesome snowboarders. Um, and the, some of the stuff they do, I just can't even understand. I'm compared, like we have, yeah, there are a few Olympians who hang out at the mountain and some of the stuff they do, I can't even begin to understand, but I feel like that's just a lot of testosterone and peer pressure at some point too. Mm. Two of my least favorite things. Yeah, same. <laughs> testosterone and peer pressure. Well, you've really sold me on skiing. I know, but it's about the family experience. That's what that's what it's all about. My kid would probably like it. Like enjoying he's a daredevil. There you go. It's about enjoying a day in the mountains, you know? It's like mm -hmm. a cool way to see new places. And like I said, gravity sports, like there's something satisfying about just letting gravity do the work. Have you ever eaten it to a concerning degree? You ever had you ever had the ski patrol have to come get you? Oh, luckily, no. Touch wood. I hope that doesn't ever happen. Um, but no, I, yeah, like I said, I have, I'm, my knees are already not very happy with me. So I try to be, I try to be like pretty, I don't know, as careful as I can be while still having fun. But luckily I've never had to be in a ski patrol sled. I have had a few clients, unfortunately, who have, but, um, yeah, luckily that's never happened. I, I, I obviously know a lot of people. I was dating someone who um, crushed his face on a tree. That wasn't great. Mm. Um, yeah, and had to have like reconstructive surgery. <laughs> um, but no, luckily I've never had like a major injury. Thank goodness. Um, I also don't think that my health care is good enough to be able to afford that. So another reason to leave the U.S. that I don't have to worry about that sort of things. Yeah. Yeah. God bless you. Third culture kid flinging herself down the side of a mountain, hanging out with dirt bags and occasionally billionaires. Life could be worse. <laughs> Life could be a lot worse. Um, yeah, I don't know how long this is going to last, though. I feel like I, 
You actually, you said in an episode that aired somewhat recently, and I don't remember which one, but that you were thinking about going back to graduate school. And that resonates a lot. And I'm curious what you're thinking about going back to graduate school for, because I, you know, my body won't last forever. And I'm, as much as I, you know, my life sounds pretty carefree and fun right now, but I was also like the straight A nerd student who did really well in school and at a pretty, you know, one of those big fancy colleges. So that's another thing that I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about social work. And do you want to hear an update? Yeah. I found out yesterday I have been accepted to graduate school. I haven't decided Whoa, if I'm actually going to congratulations. Thanks. I don't know if I'm going to go. Oh, my gosh. But I've been accepted. What? Now I have some big choices. What are make. the pros and cons? Well, the pros are some sense of accomplishment and stability and mm-hmm. um, feeling like it's an opportunity to do, do some good, possibly. The cons are that it might represent me giving up on um, – a lifestyle that I've spent my whole adult life building. That was something of a dream that went pretty successfully. And I'm worried that I'm quitting in a way I'm going to regret. Um, I've also had some interesting developments where I, I, I've, I wound up talking to talking to someone about this who works in a world where they said they might be able to give me a job where I might be able to accomplish a lot of the good side of it without needing three years of schooling and, financial aid so that's another thing Mm -hmm. major life major area of life transition here major area of life transition i've got got enough life transitions happening without all of a sudden taking up skiing (laughs) fair enough that's a lot how um that's so so i'm also thinking about applying for a master's in social work really and i'm very on the fence about it Yeah, yeah right it's a hard life god bless all the social workers i know a ton of them listen to this show you read the description of these, this job, you go, it sounds like such a noble thing to do where you'd feel like you were helping people legitimately. It also sounds mm-hmm. difficult emotionally, mentally, yeah. and honestly, financially. Yeah. No, it does. It sounds really taxing. Like it could be at least really taxing um, and also really rewarding. And I, that's, yeah, I don't know that many people. I mean, I know a few, but not tons of people who do that kind of work, but. Um, I feel like that's in some ways like the pinnacle of morality <laughs> and on some levels, I shouldn't say that that's a bit dramatic, but it's super cool the way people dedicate their lives to that kind of work. Um, you know, that it's not, oh, you know, it doesn't sound like it's the most lucrative, um, but just that it opens so many doors to do really important, really interesting work. Yeah. I bet you'd be good at it. No, I would hope so. But it's also, yeah, it's like a big life change. It's a big financial commitment. It's a big time commitment. Um, and graduate school just sounds like a, I mean, it's just like such a real investment on so many levels that you have to, you have to be pretty sure. It sounds like that that's something you want to do. Indeed. You and I are on the same page. Here I thought our lives had 
very little in common as far as actual lived experience. Then it turns out we're thinking of the same exact career change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've got 30 seconds left. I got to wonder. You you mentioned that you feel I, like after, yeah, I know, right? After seven years here, you feel like a little bit like you've, you're a little trapped. Do you think you're going to stay in the States or do you think that your your fam, your family's tradition of uh, of wandering is going to take back over at some point? I think, I think I'm going to end up leaving the States. I'm sort of thinking that graduate school might be my avenue out. Mm. Um. And I don't know that it's for exactly the same reasons that they decided to leave, but honestly, I just feel so far away from them that it feels like it's a priority for me to try to be physically closer so that I don't have to just see them once or twice a year. It's an intriguing note to end on. A cliffhanger. What what will happen to this (laughs) color? I guess we'll never know because our time is up. Uh, Well... That went by so fast. Um, thank you so much for your time and um, for such a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for calling and for chit-chatting with me. We went in a whole bunch of different directions. I really loved it. And I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you. You too, Chris. Have a good afternoon. Caller, thanks so much for getting me through just such a lovely conversation. Just a lovely laid back conversation that I feel truly lucky to have had. Thank you. Thank you to Anita Flores for producing the show. Thank you to Jared O'Connell for engineering the show. Our theme song is by Shell Shag. Go to chrisgeth.com if you want to know more about me, including all of my upcoming tour dates. And wherever you listen, there's a button that says subscribe, favorite, follow. When you hit that button, it helps us so much. If you're looking for merch like t-shirts and stuff, go to podswag.com. It's all there. If you want your episodes without any ads and you want to go to stitcher.com slash premium, you can use the promo code stories for a one-month free trial.